0: We're examining the Gospel of Luke in a long series called Reading the Red. I'm not sure how long this will take us, but we want to just soak in every word of Jesus and hear it in our own lives. This 14th chapter could really be called Table Talk because it it has to do with eating together. The symbol of a banquet, there was a physical feast going on at that time, and someone was bright enough to say, what spiritual implication does this have? You know, when we are really um, working at our maximum potential, we are looking at the events of the world, we are looking at the events of our lives and the feelings of our lives, and we are saying, we're asking that question... What spiritual implication does this have? And so here they are eating together. Jesus is talking. He's instructing them. And someone mentions the banquet in the kingdom of heaven. How fortunate are those who sit down at the table in the kingdom of heaven. And that brings up a thought in Jesus' mind. And he says, you know, let me tell you a story. Now, first of all, I want you to get the symbolism of a banquet. A banquet is not a symbol of judgment. It's not a story of heaven and hell. It's a symbol of intimacy. When you were dating, where did you take your, your date? Many times, it was not just to a movie, but it was to eat together. When you have friends over, what do you do? Most of the time, you eat together. There is something about a meal that draws us close. I don't know whether it's a recognition of our common need or, or just something that makes us jolly because uh, we're getting satisfied. I don't know what it is, but there's a symbolism here that has more to do with intimacy than theology. And I want you to catch that. <clears throat> Let me just go down through the Scripture to say a couple of things in case I forget them. First of all, in any allegory, in any parable, there is a danger. Parables are wonderful, and I love the parables of Christ because two things happen. First of all, there is a fact given and that is relatively easy to recognize. You know, anyone who has any interest at all in a parable can see a general fact given in that parable. But secondly... There is an arena with which we can project our needs and we can go and say, this is what that parable means to me because it's that open. It's our way of participating. It's our way of overlooking a story, looking over a story and saying, this is how that applies to me. Well, <clears throat> let me just go down and tell you what I see when I read this story. And then, then you can fill in the gaps on your own. First of all, there are three excuses given. Now, they're Old Testament excuses. You can read them in Deuteronomy. And in the Old Testament, they are valid. One has to do with the general area of possessions. I have purchased a piece of ground and I have to go look at it. Now, why a person has to go look at a piece of ground after he's purchased it is beyond me. You should be looking at it before you purchase it. Maybe he purchased it on conditional terms. I don't know. You realtors know more about that than I do. But but on the one hand, it's valid. On the other hand, it's pretty flimsy, pretty flimsy. But generally, don't miss the fact that it has to do with worldly possessions. I now possess this. Secondly, I've I purchased five pair of oxen. Now, that's a pretty good purchase. That's a pretty good hunk of stuff. But we're not talking here about more material possessions We are talking about a way of operating the world. We are talking about the means of production. In the first category, we're talking about what. In the second category, we're talking about how. Oxen were how he tended to produce the fruit of the land. We also have very many people. In the first category, we, we almost divinize people. I mean, Donald Trump... (laughs) <laughs> is becoming in this is in this society a, a demigod a, a, or a semi god? And I don't think he's promoting it itself. It's just our absolute fascination with people who have, you know. But in the second go, second category, we also have an absolute fascination with how to things. You go to the library, go to the Seminole County Library, and and look at the at the racks and racks of magazines. And I don't, I could, I didn't count the percentage when I was there looking, but. The magazines on how to do such and such are absolutely phenomenal. You don't see very many magazines on just you know picturing things as they are or having a relationship with things as they are. It's always how to, even how to build a relationship. I picked up a magazine on bicycling. I know bicycle, but I thought it was fascinating. I thought I'd thumb through it. Every article in that magazine, and there were probably 20-some articles, were all technologically fascinating. It was all how-to, how to produce, the means of production, what to eat if you're going to bicycle, what, you know, women's bicycle equipment. Um, there were um, uh, where to go, um, how to repair your bicycle, um, trips, races that you could get into, um, journals that you could keep, so on and so forth and so on and so forth. All down that it was all a means of production. None of, this is how you enjoy scenery when you're <laughs> riding along, although that would have been a how-to also. Um, there was one guy who did have a, an article in there that had something about getting a writing companion, and I thought that would be fascinating, so I turned to it real quick, and he and he told how he got a writing companion and, and so on and so forth, and told me, the interviewed he, he put an ad in a paper and uh, said, uh, you know, this is, what kind of companion I'm looking for. I'm going to go so many miles across the United States. And, and he told the fascinating responses he got with that. And, uh, but he said one guy, the guy he chose, turned out to be a techno weenie. That's, that's, what he, that's what you call somebody who can tell you how many pounds per square inch a certain tire can carry for how long. Techno weenie. Well, we're techno weenies in this society. We love how-to stuff. The fascinating thing to me is, that, as fascinated as we are with how things work, there is a general need of engineers and um, scientists in this society that is not being met. Two thirds of the company, I read this in another magazine, two thirds of the personnel directors in companies, two thirds of their requests are going unanswered because People are technically inequipped, non-equipped, to handle the jobs that they have to offer. We have a, we have a dire need of engineers in this, company, uh, this country, but yet 80% of our school children write themselves out of a career in engineering or in science by the 10th grade because of their lousy scores in math and science. 80%. So isn't it interesting that we're so fascinated with the how-to, but not fascinated enough to work to get the expertise we need? Well, anyhow, I, I always get off on those things. I'm sorry. But, but the, the second one was, a, was it kind of stands for people who are fascinated with the means of production, uh, the efficiency experts, the, the, the um, people who are always practical, and this is the way we can do this. Third category is the who. It symbolizes those relationships, to me, it symbolizes those relationships in our lives that start out very healthy, very normal, but for some reason, because of those relationships, we excuse ourselves from the presence of God. Those very relationships that should be a fulfillment in the presence of God become an excuse for not spending time with God. You know, I'm sorry, God, I've got to do this with my child. I've got to do this with my wife, and I'm not sure where they are spiritually, and I don't want to force the issue, so therefore I just won't, you know, respond. Now notice in this parable there are two, two invitations. One is an invitation to come to the banquet, And every one of the ones he invites initially says, okay. Otherwise, he wouldn't have sent his servant back. His servant wouldn't have gone back, right? So there is an initial acceptance. But there's another invitation. And this is the invitation where the rubber hits the road. The the second invitation is a call. and says, okay, now it is required that you come be with me there are basically two kinds of invitation when it comes to salvation. One is, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? And who, if they, if they buy into the original construct, would say, no, I want to go to hell. I mean, there just aren't very many people out there that say, no, count me out. I'd rather burn. And those are the people who, in their mind... Have a relationship with God. Yeah, I accepted that. Didn't I accept the invitation? I mean, we would go. But when the actual call of God comes, then comes the real invitation. Then comes the bottom line. Then comes the matter matter of prioritizing. Then comes the matter of, well, I don't know how much I'm going to interrupt my life to have fellowship with God. Because you see, salvation is not a matter of agreement. Salvation is a matter of fellowship. You know, it's fascinating to me. i am working on another project. I'm writing another book, so I'll be out of commission for the next three years. And this book is about um, values inherent in all religions. And I'm talking, I'm doing a lot of research on on different religions and a lot of research uh, with different people of different religions talking with different folks. Absolutely fascinated by this. And one of the things that is all I've always assumed is that bottom line all religions pretty well have the same intent. That's absolutely not true. When it comes to salvation, all religions have basically the same intent. That is all religions want us or want to help us be freed from the suffering of this world and be at one with God. All religions want that. That's that salvation by agreement. Um, that's, the, that's the basic construct. The Western religions, Judaism and Islam, say that if you got the book, read the book, follow the book, and maybe you'll get there. The Eastern religions, um, Taoism and Jainism and um, Hinduism and Buddhism, don't have a personal God as such, but they do have a construct of the universe that says basically, if you do this, eventually you can be purged of this world and become at one with the universe. Christianity is the only religion and I hate to call Christianity a religion because that's the, that loses the whole point. Christianity is the only invitation, let me say that says you can have a personal relationship with God. John 15 15 says what? I no longer call you slaves because a slave doesn't know what his father's doing. I call you friends. There is no other invitation in this world that even desires or claims or intends to offer that possibility. None. So the invitation is not by matter of agreement. It's by matter of fellowship. And when we neglect the fellowship, We neglect the invitation. Notice when that happens. To the logical people, and I'll tell you why that is in a minute. To the logical people of that invitation, God gets angry. Have you ever offered yourself to someone and had them refuse? What happens inside of you when you're rejected? Well, I get mad. I just get flack mad. Now, there are a lot of us who would love to out-Christian Christ in this whole thing. We would love to out-God God. God. You know, I shouldn't be mad. God got mad. Doesn't it say in here? Isn't that who that stands for? Didn't he get angry? It's okay to get angry. The Bible says be angry. Don't sin. Be angry. It's okay to get angry. It's okay to be hurt. And again, remember, anger is a secondary emotion. It it comes from fear. When we are afraid, we get angry. When we hurt, we get angry. In order to defend ourselves, that's how we're made. Don't try to out-Jesus, Jesus Jesus in this thing. God's hurt. He's mad. He's angry. That they have not come to fellowship with Him. Not come to be intimate with Him. So, what's he do? He opens it up. Now, this is terrific. Because there are a couple of things I want to say to you in this, in this whole matter. First of all, is a matter of personal salvation. There are reasons... Well, no, let me, let me go the other direction first, okay? When it comes to offering other people an invitation to be intimate with God. I know that many of you... Well, I don't know. I know most of you, and most of you do know how to do that. <laughs> That's great. But, but, but there are some of you... No, many of you don't, <laughs> or, or might not, you know. Don't know exactly, are uncomfortable doing that, see... And and so the invitation doesn't go out to the people who need, to the people who definitely have a need in, their, in their, and they don't have to think about it, which is more valuable. It's like, yeah, I really need that. That's, that's why they went out in the streets. That's where the beggars were. All of those four categories can be summed up in one category, beggars. They knew their own need. And so there was no hesitation. And there are people in your life that need more than anything to feel God's love. And I want to give you permission this morning to offer that to them through Jesus Christ. To be able to say to them, you know you can have a personal relationship with God. You can call Jesus friend. You can have Him speak to you personally on an individual basis. That can be yours if you want to go with the intimacy and I'll just start you on that road and then you can present the fact that sin has separated us and you could present the fact that because of Christ's love there is a way to God and Christ is that way and you could present the fact that if they intend <laughs> a intimacy and intimacy not a contractual agreement and intimacy then they can invite Christ to live in their hearts and grow in that intimacy with God and you can pray that prayer with them. Lord I know that I am a sinner and I believe Christ died for my sins and I trust him for the forgiveness of my sins and I ask you to come in my heart right now and live in there and make of me what you want me to be. It's wonderful. I want to give you that permission. And I want to give it to you outside of any prejudged circle you already have. You know, I read some statistics about 10 years ago that have always stuck with me, and I don't know that this is still true. I hope it's not but the english speaking world so english speaking peoples is are, are basically the percentage is 9% of the world is english speaking 90% of the christians of this world is within that block of english speaking peoples 94% of the ministers and trained christian people minister to the 9% of the world that is English-speaking. 97%, or was it 96? I don't care. 96%, let's say, of all of the resources of the world, all of the Christian resources, I'm sorry, is spent on the 9% of that English-speaking population of the world. You know why? Because we go to people like we are. Because we have little categories of people who we will talk to and people we won't talk to, that's awful. That's awful. Don't get that category. Go out to anyone who has need. That's what this parable is about. You go out, and of course, you know they're going to you know they're going to be a little nervous about it. That was that was the Oriental custom, by the way. You know when you invited them. Well, we do the same thing. Would you like to go? I, well, I. I don't, no, I don't think I could. Ah, oh, come on. That's what that means, compel. Ah, oh, come on. That's roughly translated, but that's what it means. No, I really want you to. Come on. That's really compelling somebody. That's what that means. Just reassuring people that they are welcome and that God really wants them there. That's wonderful. That's what they need. Now let me just say that I really believe that there are some people who are sitting here this morning who also have a need. You have made the agreement, but there are some things standing in your way. And you are not answering God's call in your life right now. And I'm not sure why the delay is there. I don't know whether it's because of something you own or something you're trying to learn how to do, or some person in your life. I don't know what it is. But I know, and I can sense, that some of us have a block when God is calling us to another level of intimacy. Let me tell you two reasons why you need to get rid of the block, and you need to get rid of it this morning. First of all, there is... Excuse me. I'm drying out. There's a time in your life, and I talked with probably three people this week who are running into this block, that you will realize, no matter how good things are in this world, there's a deadness about them. There's a deadness. They, They... There is a need inside you they can't answer. I heard a story one time about uh, a young artist, sculptor, who was absolutely excellent. And he sculpted the figure of an angel and through some friends invited the master Michelangelo to come. And to look at that angel. And when Michelangelo came, before he got into sight of this artist, this artist hid himself. Because he did not want to influence Michelangelo's <clears throat> judgment of the piece at all. He just wanted to hear it. And Michelangelo stood before this magnificent sculptor of an angel. With astonished admiration. And he walked around that sculpture, looked at it from every angle, and then said to himself, It only lacks one thing. And he walked off. <laughs> well, <clears throat> the young artist. Could eat, he could sleep. <laughs> he had to find out, and so he sent the same friends to Michelangelo to ask them what it lacked. Michelangelo's reply was, "Life, life. If it were alive, God Himself would not have made it any more perfect." There are things in this world that no matter how good they get, I know that Christianity talks a lot about what's going wrong in life, and that's simply so that we can recognize our need. But I know you enough to know that many, many things are good in your life and that you have many successes in your life. But don't you look at them... And say, you know, there's a part of this that's dead for me. There's a part of this that has an end, that can't go any further. No matter how good it gets, it can't go any further. Even your marriage can't go any further. Even your parenthood, if your kids are great... I want to talk to you. But if your kids are great, perfect, give all the right responses, there's a part of you that will say, but unless God is involved in the intimacy here, here, unless we are in Christ Together, and we are in the presence of God, all of the things of this world, relationships included, can only take me so far. That's the important part of salvation that sometimes we forget about. And then we wonder why, even if we're Christians, the world doesn't go all that well. But there's a second reason, and I'll, I'll close with this. There is an invitation that all of us have to become intimate with God and because of the fellowship of that intimacy, because of the the multitude of people at that banquet, we find a part of ourselves that we did not find before. Did you ever wonder why? Now, it was oriental custom that The dinner did not begin until everyone who was coming was there. That was oriental custom. But did you ever wonder why the host had to fill up all the table? Why just the beggars? And there must have been a multitude of beggars just in the streets, just in the town square, enough to eat certainly what he had planned to feed his friends. Do you ever wonder why he sent him out a second time? There is a vision of God for your life that says, I want someone to be a part of that person's life that they do not have yet. They are not there yet. And part of the intimacy of salvation, part of the intimacy of why God draws us together is to find those people whom God wants us to have fellowship at the banquet with. Because God doesn't just want us to have fellowship with Him. He wants us to have fellowship with each other. Edward VII was the king of England around the turn of the century. And he gave a great banquet, someone like this banquet, to celebrate his coronation, the commemoration of his coronation. And he invited what he called people of little means. What we would call poor people. And serving those people, now listen to this, this is really neat. Serving those people were princes and princesses and dukes and lords and army officers. They were serving the meal to the poor. Well, there was a couple who came in from the country, an old, old couple who had struggled all their life, and they had slowly been selling everything so that they could eat. This was before the time of government support. They didn't have any family in the area. Their friends could only do so much for them. They were literally starving to death, and they were going to have to sell everything just to get them to the poorhouse. During the banquet, a young officer from Australia came and served them. And one of the old guys, or the the, uh, husband, said to the wife, said, Boy, he looks like Ned, doesn't he? And the wife grinned. And the young officer, who was listening, kind of bolted. You could see something go through him. And he went back to get something else to serve them. And the old man looked at him again and said, you look like our Ned. And the young man said, well, who is this Ned and where is he? Trying to hold back some excitement in his voice. The old man said he was our son. He left 30 years ago to go to Australia. We haven't seen him or heard from him in 20 years. And the young officer looked at him tears in his eyes and said my name is Ned and if your name is Edward Broughton you're talking about my father who died 21 years ago and my reason for being in England for the past few years was to find my grandparents and I did not know where they were and you are them And of course, they had a terrific reunion. And the young army officer said, where are you going? (laughs) They said, to the poor house. He said, no, you're not. Grandmother, take my arm. You're living with me. It's just an illustration, just a simple story to say there are still people in your life that God has not included that he still wants to include. And some of you feel that gap. Some of you know. That by drawing close to God and His people, by becoming intimate with God and His people, He's going to put someone in your life you have a hunger for. And that is also part of His salvation process for you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank You for Your Word and its invitation to intimacy. We thank you that you are not the God of theology. You're the God of love. And we thank you for the responsibility we have of coming to you until your plan for our life is complete and we are answering your call. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.